0: this is evolutionary radio steve this is a very special episode do you have any idea why
1: uh fuck i don't know I can't guess. We're two
0: fifty. Yeah, this is episode two fifty.
1: Okay, I'm not sure why.
0: Is that a round number in Canada? That's a milestone, man. Two hundred fifty episodes is a pretty big. Uh, it's a pretty big accomplishment.
1: Shit, yeah, I know, right? I, the fact that I've been able to put up with you for two hundred fifty episodes—that's that is an accomplishment.
0: Well, this is the last one. I've, I've had enough of your crap. I said I'm going to make it to two fifty, and then I'm done.
1: <laughs> You're retiring.
0: I'm retiring. so uh, And we also appreciate you guys. We appreciate you guys submitting questions. Not every episode is a question episode, but I mean, probably about half of them are. So that's a lot of questions you guys submitted if you do the math. So speaking of which, we got 10 really good questions. Um, The first one is a very interesting one. Steve, do you want to go ahead and and list off the first question?
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of reactions to our past couple Q&As on the topics we've talked about. The last one, I believe, was something about the father-in-law or something getting involved with the kid. Well, this is another family drama situation. This time, the, the grandparents are saying some racist things um, in front of them and in front of their girlfriend. And, you know, it's kind of embarrassing. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about this. Um, and I notice this trend a lot too with older people. Older people tend to be very racist I'm not sure what it is um, I think they're like very insecure because they see the world around them changing so much and they just don't connect with the younger kids because there's a huge disconnect and um, I, I wonder if that's the reason but you know it's it's almost like they're not um, you know they they, ha- they feel like they can just go around saying, you know, insulting people and saying racist things in front of other people. So what are your thoughts on this, Trevor? You live in Canada and um, Canadians are, um, I'm sure parts of Canada, you have just as much racism as the United States, you know? So um, what are are your thoughts thoughts on why old people are racist?
0: I would say that in Canada, racism is to a lesser extent than the United States, but it definitely still does exist. I'm not really sure. I agree with you, though. I do find it's normally older people. Um, you'll have, like, an old woman who will have, like, maybe a black physiotherapist, right? And then she'll tell the doctor, oh, I don't want I don't want an N-word to be taking care of me or something like that. Um, I really don't know where it comes from. Um, maybe, maybe it has to do with, you know, growing up in the Second or First World War. Maybe just because they consider those people the enemies or something. Maybe they're, it's kind of like programmed into their psychology. I'm really not sure. I'm really not sure where it comes from. Um, I really don't support racism. Uh, I have a lot of friends and I've been very blessed that my parents grew me up not to see color. And a lot of my friends you know, who are black or Hispanic or Indian, or they're, they're really, really good people. And I find that when you really get to know most people, most people are genuine good people regardless of their skin color. So I'm not sure where it comes from, Steve. I think it might just be maybe like a World War II thing. Um, maybe it's like programming their psychology from there. Um, racism was very prominent um, in the early 1900s, right? So maybe it was just their upbringing. I'm, I'm really not sure, though.
1: Well, let's talk about the root question, though, Trevor, in that situation. Let's say you're sitting having dinner with, a, with their grandparents and, you know, you really like, you know, your girlfriend or your wife or whatever and the grandparents start saying racist stuff, should you just nod and, and pretend like you agree with them or should you just kind of tell them, you know, hey, I disagree because, so what, what do you do in that type of situation? Because it is a tough tough situation. What would you do?
0: Um, I've, had, I've had grandparents before make fun of my religion and things like that when, when I was dating a girl or something. They would, they would, you know, laugh at Christianity and, and something like that. Um, and I would just say, like, please, please don't make those comments around me. Like, it really does offend me. And I really take them personally. So I just say something like that. I don't make a big deal about it. But let's say there's, like, a TV commercial or something. And there's, you know, a black person modeling the clothes. And, and the grandparent says, like, I don't know why they're using, you know, the niggers to model those clothes or something. Just say like, hey, like, I, re- I really don't appreciate you making those comments when I'm around. Um, I do take offense to that. So please don't make racist remarks when I'm there. I would definitely make a stand for it because not only should you do something like racism is never right, but then also it shows your girlfriend like you're not just going to be a pushover because there's going to be other situations in life where you know someone's gonna do the wrong thing are you just gonna let it slide and and you know just say oh i don't want to offend anyone are you going to stand up for what you believe in so i would definitely make a stand and, and sure it might be an uncomfortable conversation but you should you should definitely correct them on it
1: i think too um old people are really stuck in their ways so trying to like argue and say hey this offends me whatever it's not really gonna like do anything they're gonna Till they die, they're gonna be racist motherfuckers. They're not gonna change, so I don't see how like trying to reason with them will make a difference. So what I would do in that situation is just tell your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, and just hey, be like, hey, you know, I don't, I, I can't be around negative people. And I look, I love your family, and you're, I'm sure your your grandparents are good people, whatever. But I can't be around people that talk like that and and behave like that. So I'm gonna have to you know and please don't invite me to these types of functions anymore that's it and then um, just avoid the situation don't surround yourself with people like that is pretty much what i'm getting at but you know if it's a grandparent don't take it out on on, on your wife or girlfriend or boyfriend whatever because you know that's a huge difference between someone's grandparents being a racist and the actual person if it's the, the parents that's one thing i can i can understand but the grandparents you know it's it's one of those things that are just so off the rocker. I wouldn't even pay attention. So next one, um, do steroids cure injuries? So one of uh, our members wants to know, because he says that someone told him if he injects steroids into the injury that it's going to heal the injury. So I wonder if number one, he's thinking of catabolic steroids, cortisone injections. Cause if you inject cortisone into an injury, it's more than likely going to trick your brain into thinking there's no injury because it's a very anti-inflammatory thing, but it's not going to cure the injury. So anabolic steroids are not catabolic steroids. They're completely different. So maybe the person's confusing these with catabolic steroids. That's, that's,
0: that's, That's not how catabolic steroids work. So how catabolic steroids work is that they're catabolic. It's a stress response. So when you inject cortisone into an injury, you're basically causing a lot of inflammation, a lot of stress in that specific site. And then your body is sending um, uh, white blood cells, it's sending a bunch of amino acids, sending things to facilitate healing. So basically, when you inject a, cortic- a corticosteroid, you're putting a lot of inflammation, a lot of stress in that specific spot. And then your body is going to super facilitate healing. Does that make sense?
1: Um i I don't know, man, because I've gotten cortisol injections in my neck, and that's not pretty much they told me that the nerve shrinks
0: when they inject you no that that steroids don't affect the nerve, but it will facilitate healing, but no that what that doctor said that's not true you might have you might have there might you might have injected other things too you might have injected some sort of like freezing which would dull the pain
1: no no. So, so you're saying that it's inflammatory, and a catabolic steroid is inflammatory?
0: Well, it's it's a catabolic steroid, yeah. It causes a huge stress response in the body.
1: Okay, yeah, I don't know. I don't. We'll have to like. Um, so, so okay. So back to this topic: anabolic steroids. If you inject anabolic steroids into an injury,
0: what but inflammation, would inflammation's not bad, Steve. Inflammation is how your body heals. Chronic inflammation is the problem. So, like chronic inflammation is inflammation that your body never gets rid of. And that's when it becomes an issue because you're dealing with that inflammation 24 7, 365 days per week. But inflammation is how your body heals itself, right? Like when you go to the gym, you work on a muscle, you get a pump, that's inflammation. You have a lot of stress, you have a lot of damage, and your body heals that damage bigger and stronger and facilitates growth.
1: I mean, I'll tell you, I, but I'm saying anabolic steroids. If I inject anabolic steroids into an injury, this is what the guy's asking. Anabolic steroids, not catabolic.
0: No, it would not. It would not help. Because anabolic steroids right. stimulate muscle protein synthesis. They don't do anything for joints or ligaments.
1: Right. So what I'm what I'm trying to my point, what I'm trying to get at here, we can debate like what catabolic steroids do or whatever. But my point is, I think that his friend is, is confusing catabolic steroids with anabolic steroids. Because because I can remember people you know, who've broken bones and stuff. Doctors have given them catabolic steroids. They've given them um, not injections. They've given them catabolic steroids, oral catabolic steroids. And then they started telling people, yeah, I'm taking steroids. And you look at what they're taking, <laughs> and it's not anabolic steroids. They're catabolic steroids. So I, that's what I'm saying. I think there's a confusion between those two. But also, they could be confusing um, stuff like TB500, peptides, BPC. Also, which you can cite, inject... BPC and that will um, heal the injury. So basically summarize it. Why do anabolic steroids not cure injuries when you inject them into an injury?
0: Anabolic steroids, by definition, increase muscle protein synthesis. Your joints and ligaments are not made of muscle, they're made of collagen. It's connective tissue. So it would not help facilitate um, any sort of joint or ligament repair. It'd almost be like taking steroids, thinking it would make you grow taller. No, it wouldn't, right? Steroids have nothing to do with your growth plates. Um, I, think, I think the misconception comes from with people using DECA because DECA will make your joints feel good because it's such a wet steroid, right? So you take DECA, you retain a lot of water. And then your joints feel better, but it doesn't actually help your joints heal.
1: Well, I don't understand that because DECA aromatizes a quarter as much as testosterone. So based on that, you could take d bull and testosterone, which are much more wetter than DECA.
0: And that would heal injuries too. You see i what I'm on paper, But if you take DECA versus testosterone, DECA will make your joints feel way better than testosterone.
1: I know, but I'm saying it not, has nothing to do with being more wet. I can see Winnie being a dry, drying out your joints, making your joints crack. And making your joints worse, taking winstrol. Sure. Why
0: does that make your joints feel good?
1: Well, I mean, you know, if you, it, it might, it, it doesn't. <laughs> you know, I've used that before. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily make my joints feel good. But I mean, some people, that's been the kind of bro science that's been bannered on forums. But I think maybe DECA, you know, some people believe, hey, it has some type of some type of positive benefits for the joints i'm not really sure trevor but i wouldn't take deca like regardless like for if you have joint injuries don't don't take us anything don't take anything for that you gotta let the the injury heal so i don't think that um i think it does more harm than good whether it's a catabolic steroid anabolic steroid anything like unless you're taking like a peptide, i can i can live with that but if you have an injury you just gotta let the injury heal like people gotta remember that they're not professional athletes with million dollar contracts here you've got to give your body a chance to just heal on its own you can't just force it you know f- the pain to go away and then go out and cause more damage and you know what i'm saying you got to think long well, cat-
0: catabolic steroids actually well catabolic steroids do do more harm than good right and that's why a doctor would only give a catabolic steroid to like a professional athlete so like let's say Tom Brady hurts his shoulder and the Super Bowl is in two days, right? If you go to a doctor, the doctor, give him a corticosteroid shot. You'd say, you know, hopefully this is going to facilitate recovery enough so that you can play. But if you kept giving him corticosteroid shots, his shoulder would actually get worse because you keep facilitating inflammation. So a corticosteroid, it should only be used for a short period of time to facilitate recovery. But if you keep doing it, you're actually going to cause more inflammation than you're going in the problem of excess inflammation. So yeah, corticosteroids are effective, but they should be temporary. And then anabolic steroids have nothing to do with, re- with injury recovery. So that's the, the wrong topic altogether. So for injury recovery, you maybe want to use like Osterin or maybe like TB500 or BPC157. The main thing is just rest and recovery when it really comes down to it. So and
1: next question is going to be a cardio... Um- Treadmill or stationary bike as good as the real thing.
0: So, nice.
1: um, <laughs> go ahead. you want to take this one first?
0: Um, I'm not like a super big guy. Like I'm like 200 pounds, and even me, if I'm running on a treadmill, I don't feel super comfortable. I mean, like the thing's shaking, and like, like I know it's not gonna break, but I just don't feel that comfortable. And then I'm also worried about, you know, maybe like step in the wrong way and and fallen off the thing. Right. So it's not the same thing. Like you always push yourself harder when you're on real ground or when you're on like actual, on an actual bike, because it's just, it's a more natural movement. You're, you're running on surface. You're not running on a revolving track. So I think like, especially if you live in Winnipeg, like I do, where it's winter, a third of the year, like I think treadmills and and stationary bikes are, are great because you can't run outside as much as you would like to but if you have the option i would definitely do the real thing
1: you know mike tyson's daughter died from a treadmill right i didn't know that yeah she died uh from a treadmill accident but yeah um i would say this look if you're an endurance you want to improve your endurance um using a stationary bike and using a treadmill are bo- first of all they're boring as hell i mean uh, second off you know it's not the real thing like, you don't see Lance Armstrong going to a spinning class, okay, to, to win. <laughs> That'd be so epic. <laughs> I mean, you see him. He's out there on his bicycle, bicycling, like, from freaking 8 a.m. in the morning to fucking 8 a.m. at p.m., like, 12 hours straight bicycling out there on the road. You're not you, – you don't you don't have wind as a factor. You don't have the weather as a factor, precipitation. You don't have, um, you know – the twists, the turns and stuff. It's just not the same thing. And then with running, same thing. Wind is a huge factor with running. Surface is a huge factor. When you're running on a treadmill, you're actually heel striking. The ground is what's moving. You're actually not moving. You're You're staying in one spot and you actually heel strike on a treadmill. So you're actually learning improper running technique. So what you really have to do if you really want to improve as a runner is run on soft surface grass, either barefoot or get really, really good high quality shoes. I recommend Nikes. The frees are, are really, really good. There's also different Nike running shoes. They're all excellent because they're very well made and you can buy them a year later from when they first come out brand new and they're going to be like, 60 70 percent less expensive than buying them as soon as they come out so that's that's what you really have to do shoes are extremely important if you if you do want to wear shoes but you don't want to run on sidewalk you don't want to run on treadmills that's not the way to do it and if you're in trevor situation and there's a lot of canadian runners um when i was on endurance athlete we had tons of canadian runners that would come down because they were um, getting away from the bad weather up there and they'd come down and do road races um, all winter, and um, they were excellent runners, so what you have to do is find indoor tracks that are soft, that have soft surface and run on those, and that's that would be your best, best option.
0: Could you imagine Lance Armstrong teaching a spin class? That would be, be pretty epic. Yeah, round.
1: well, it's funny. I had a spin class lady um, at my old gym. This was back when I was running triathlons, and I was telling her, yeah, I'm running triathlons because her husband was one of my friends. He's a meathead. And she's like, oh, you should come to my spinning class. And I was like, yeah, maybe I'll do that. She actually thought if I went to her spinning class, I would actually become a fast – go be faster as a bicycling. and bicycling.
0: That, it's not the
1: same fucking good. thing.
0: <laughs> then I'll be like playing uh, – what's that – like you know when some people was like at-home golf things that they have in like their office?
1: Yeah. Or the, the Wii, whatever, the Nintendo. Yeah,
0: and they'd be like, you should come over and, and play golf on my Wii and, and practice yeah. for – your for your yeah Yeah, it's not the same thing but that's that's not to say like we're not saying don't do the treadmill or spin glasses like those are great forms of cardio it's not it's just not going to actually improve your running time or your biking time so if your goal is to to you know run faster or run a marathon or something like that actually practice on pavement um the best advice i would give you is that if you live in a winter climate like canada look for a university gym they all have running tracks and it's pretty affordable Especially if you have a family member who goes to university. I mean, most university gyms have a family membership option for around $30 a month.
1: So next question is giving my kids protein bars to take to school instead of regular snacks. Trevor, I'll let you hit this one first.
0: Just give them real food. It's all crap. It's we. I, I rambled on about this a couple of podcast episodes before, and I one afternoon I was in Costco and I was looking at all of the different protein bars and granola bars and they, most were just garbage, but there were a couple that were decent, you know, like some that, you know, if, if, if someone gave it to me for free, I would eat like they, they were, you know, basically dried fruit, had some, maybe like some oatmeal, maybe some egg whites or things like that. But then the logic came to me is that I live in an affluent country. Like I have a refrigerator, I have fresh produce available. Why am I going to eat a dried fruit and dried egg white bar when I could go eat real fruit and real egg whites and, and and that it just it just doesn't really make sense why someone would eat a dried fruit granola bar when they could eat real fruit. Um I understand the convenience thing, but instead of a granola bar, why don't you just give your kid an apple and some almonds? You, you know what I mean? like like that's just as convenient. and they're really expensive when you think about it like, most of those protein bars are about three dollars each you can buy half a dozen organic free-range eggs for that you can buy a whole pound of almonds for like 10 bucks so i I just eat real food is my opinion what are your thoughts steve
1: oh this is the ingredients this is one of the most this is the healthiest and one of the most popular protein bars out there i'm not going to say the brand but you guys can probably figured this out because you would know the name instantly. But the first ingredient is a protein blend, milk protein isolate, whey protein isolate. Second ingredient is soluble corn fiber. It's got almonds, water, unsweetened chocolate, natural flavors, erythritol, cocoa butter, palm oil, sea salt, calcium carbonate, sucralose, and then uh, stevia. So. I would say half those ingredients are things I would never put in my body. So, and then also the protein bar is processed. So it's a processed food, which the body is going to react to. Okay. Versus a whole food. So give your kids like some fruit to take, take for a snack. That would be a better option, um, than, than using these protein bars. Cause it, it's garbage. I mean, sucral, just sucralose alone. It's something you shouldn't be putting in your body, much less all those other ingredients.
0: Look, let's let's go through a couple of those ingredients, Steve. So whey protein isolate, I mean, that's okay. I mean, most people don't digest whey super well, but I mean, there's, m- more, there's more horrible things you can put in your body. Then you have the milk protein isolate, that's super inflammatory. I mean, 90% of adult humans don't digest dairy well, so I mean, that's gonna make you feel super bloated. Then you have corn fiber, that's 100% genetically modified, Full of Roundup, full of glyphosate. Then what else was in there? I think there was like modified palm oil. Um, it had a bunch of like- Cocoa artifacts. butter. Cocoa butter is fine. Cocoa butter is they just take the cocoa powder. and then Sucralose. Suc- erythritol is what, what really shocked me because erythritol is a sugar alcohol. So I mean, that'll make you fart up a storm and just rip up your stomach. Um,
1: calcium then, carbonate. I'm not sure
0: what you think Calcium carbonate is limestone. It's, <laughs> no, I'm actually serious. That's the chemical formula for limestone.
1: Yeah. Obviously, they're putting preservatives in this because it has to sit on the shelf for months. So
0: calcium carbonate's a thickener. It's it's like it's I'm I'm dead serious. Anyone listening to this podcast, if you think Trevor's just being like a, a nerdy science douche, no, literally Google limestone and the, the formula is calcium carbonate. Like it's it's actually calcium carbonate. They use it as a thickener. It Sounds delicious to me. Yeah, you can uh, you can come visit come visit the mountains and and pick up some
1: rocks (laughs) eat some rocks so yeah the the next question is best ways to build strength in the gym so this is um you know one of those things where i was a strength athlete and i got pretty damn strong and i took some advice from um some of the guys in their 50s i used to work out with back when i was in my 30s early to mid 30s and they usually the strongest guys in your gym are usually late 40s, early 50s. That seems to be the, the you know, cream of the crop age because they've been doing it for so long. They know every trick in the book. Um, you know, they've used steroids off and on and, and, you know, they pretty much have their nutrition where they needs to be. So how do we do that from a weightlifting standpoint? And I can tell you the, the advice that was given to me, which is really true of any type of anything in fitness is build consistency at a lower weight, okay? So a lot of the younger guys, and I was guilty of this too, you go into the gym and ego, you ego lift. You do one or two rep sets, okay? Because you want to see how much you can do. You want to max it out. All you end up doing when you do that is just getting injured. It's not really benefiting you. So rather than doing that, why not drop the weight down and do four to six reps of good, clean, weight training without straining, without sacrificing form, and then slowly up your weights from there to a, to a higher level. And that's pretty much the universal way that it's done. It's sort of like, it's just like endurance training, just like a professional sport, anything you, you kind of back off a little bit to a lower level. And then when it comes time to actually do your meat, where you do have to max out. That's when you do the one rep max. And that's where you see where you can go. And then afterwards, like for three or four days, you're like, whoa, you know, your body's like weak and tired from that because you're maxing out. But if you go in there and you max out every time you work out, that's a no-no. It's just going to wear down your body.
0: So I think that was a good answer given by Steve. When it really comes down to it, weightlifting is a skill. So how do you get better at weightlifting? It just takes time and practice, right? it's like, it'd be almost like asking me, asking me how to squat 300 pounds is almost the equivalent to asking me, how do I throw a hundred mile per hour fastball? It's going to take a lot of practice and a lot of patience really, right? Cause you're going to first throw a fastball, maybe 10 miles per hour. They might get to 11, they might get 12 and 13. So with weightlifting, everyone wants everything tomorrow, but for you to take your squat from hundred pounds to 300 pounds, it's probably going to take you five years. And it's going to take a lot of Dedicated training and consistency. And like Steve said, the main thing is that you can't train if you're injured. So training for singles and training for max lifts, it has its place and, and you want to do it periodically to see how strong you're getting, but you don't want to be doing it frequently because you're gonna increase the chance of injury. So be smart with your training and just and just realize this is a long-term goal. This isn't this isn't a two-week, this isn't a six-week, this isn't an eight-week program, this is probably a four or five year program, right? So just think about the long-term.
1: How many times do we see in the gym, some guy who doesn't really look strong and he goes to the deadlift part of the gym and he throws on a bunch of weight, three, four plates on each side. And he's got a belt, he's got wraps, he's got straps, he's got wrap, his knees are all wrapped up, his wrists and elbows are all wrapped up. And he goes in there and does like, you know, these horrible reps which are his spine is all curved every which way. And it's just horrible. And like, it just, it's cringeworthy to see it, but then he like films himself so he can put it on Instagram or or YouTube and stuff of him doing all that weight, but it's atrocious form. So I'd rather you do 150 pounds of excellent deadlift form without all that belt and straps and wraps and, and, you know, looking like King Tut and doing it properly than going in there and doing one or two shitty ass reps just so, because you think you want to impress people. So, I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. At some point you're going to realize that's, that's different. You know, I'm more impressed with the guy who does proper form than I am the guy who does shit form heavyweight. I agree with you. Next, uh, next one is red meat. Is red meat bad? Sim- simple question. Trevor, is red meat bad?
0: So that's a great question because it really is more complicated than yes or no. So grass-fed red meat is actually very good for you. If you look at grass-fed red meat, it has a perfect one-to-one omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. It's full of CLA. It's, I would actually call it a superfood. <laughs> the problem is, the red meat you're buying at your conventional grocery store—it's fed corn and soy. Now, cows can't digest that very well. Sorry, I'm about to cough here. Cows cannot digest that very well. Cows are supposed to be herbivores. When you give a cow corn and soy, it cannot digest it, so it sits in its rumen and it ferments. And when it ferments, bacteria grows. <laughs> what happens is, E. coli develops. <coughs> you want to take over? You want to call? No, I'm, I'm going to basically explain okay. why all these E. coli outbreaks are happening. So, when you give an animal, it's not not it's it's unnative diet, whatever it be, right? Whether you give a cow corn, whether you give a fish chocolate chip cookies, whenever you give something what it's not supposed to eat, it's not going to digest very well, and it's basically going to ferment in their stomach. When it ferments in their stomach, it becomes a feeding ground for bacteria, and that's where E. coli grows. Now normally this wouldn't really be that much of an issue because if it's sanitary, you would kill the cow. You know, that E. coli would be in the cow, but because it would be all cooked, you would kill the E. coli. But the problem is with these modern slaughterhouses, they're literally slaughtering a thousand cattle every single minute. Like it's, it's absurd. Some of the numbers that you're seeing. So when you're processing that many cattle, you can't keep everything sanitary. It's impossible. Like there's blood spraying everywhere there's feces spraying every it's just it's it's absolutely disgusting so because of that some of the e coli is going to get mixed into the meat and then because it's not everything sanitary it's going to spread and then once it's in the meat that's where you get these e coli contaminations and that's why you hear it on the news you know almost every day something's being recalled for e coli poisoning um it's really really sad what we're doing to to modern livestock not just not just to the environment but also for the animals. It 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 really it makes me almost want to turn vegan. Now I'm not vegan because I do consume ethically raised animal products, but I would recommend people listening to this podcast if you have Netflix to go watch What the Health or Watch Food Inc. And it shows what we're doing to the commercial livestock. It's it's we're really turning farming into a factory and we're treating animals like factory items. It's 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 pretty sad when it really comes down to it. But yeah, so so, anyways, long story short, red meat is not bad. Just make sure you're getting local grass-fed red meat. The best place would be obviously your farmer's market. If you can't do that, an organic grocery store, or something like Whole Foods would have you know locally sourced organic grass-fed beef. Don't consume the red meat from your typical Safeway or Costco or whatever. It's going to be extremely inflammatory. It's going to be terrible for you. And it's going to be terrible for the environment.
1: Yeah, like Whole Foods, they have, a, they have standards, certain standards they meet. It's a one through five standard. And you can go there and almost all their red meat is level four or higher. So you know you're getting good quality, organic, grass-fed. Um, so, you know, my, my view on this, look, look, some people cannot digest red meat very well. Um, a lot of people with Crohn's disease or leaky gut or IBS or something, they're gonna eat red meat and they're gonna have problems. So if you're in that group that has those problems, you really have to avoid it. And hopefully one day, if you can kind of cure yourself of that Crohn's disease, which you're not gonna cure it from taking drugs from your doctor, you're gonna have to cure this on your own. But that's a topic for another day. We've talked about this on prior podcasts with guests. Once you get to that point that you can start reintroducing red meat, but. Otherwise you should not be consuming red meat. Now, do I consume red meat? Yes. I consume red meat once or twice a week, but I can tolerate it. As long as it's good quality red meat, it's fine. And it's not going to make you fat. I would really encourage people if you're a meat eater, um, to not just eat the best cuts of of, uh, steak. You should be eating the organs. That's a very, very, that's the most nutritious part of the animals, the organs. You should also be consuming the bone, the bone marrow. So bone broth, get frozen uh, bones and make your own bone broth at home. That's a lot of nutrition in that. That's the most nutritious parts of the animal that you're not even eating. And then the fats from the steak, everyone cuts off the fats and throws it away. Well, you should consume the fats as well. There's nothing wrong with consuming the fat. Fat is not the enemy here. So don't just get like the best cut of steak and cut off the fat and and throw the bone away and, and don't eat, you know, anything else and cook it well done, you know, then you're not even getting any nutritious benefits from it. So that's why I laugh at people who eat eat meat every day, who think they're like tough and uh, think that they're like, you know, Superman or something. You're not tough. You're weak because you're eating the the shittiest part of the animal. That doesn't make you tough. You know what I'm saying? I want to see you eat an organ, a liver or the brain, or something like that then you can you can be a mr tough guy that's that's mr tough guy to me because that's it doesn't really taste that good to eat the organ
0: you i'm know, gonna say things quick and then steve you can choose the next topic so gram per gram organ meat and in particular liver is the most nutrient dense food on earth if you look at the nutrition facts of liver it's got everything like it's super high in all the b vitamins it's high in iron it's high in zinc it's high in vitamin a it's high in vitamin d in the animal kingdom, when a lion kills an animal, it eats the liver and it leaves the rest of the animal a scrap for the wife and the cubs. Second thing I will say is that because your organs are your body's detoxification elements, you make sure to buy organic grass-fed organ meat. You would not want to go to Costco and buy liver. That would be terrible. So if you're going to eat liver or kidney or heart or, or, or any of these organ meats, which I actually recommend, cause they're very, very healthy for you. Just make sure you're getting a quality source.
1: Yeah, there was a naked and afraid episode, Trevor, uh, yesterday. And our, our buddy, Gary Goldman was on it again, and they actually killed a, um, small hog warthog. This was in Africa. And the first thing they did was cut out the heart, the liver, and one other organ, I can't remember, I think the kidneys, and they ate that. And, and they just ate it raw. And that's, that was the most nutritious part of the animal. So that's, that's absolutely right. In, in the wild, that's what the animals do. So we should be doing the same thing. Next question is testosterone ratio. What testosterone ratio should we have? Now we've seen over the years on forums, you'll see these guys that come on the forums and they say, <laughs> they're always like, you have to run. If you're running 500 milligrams of this steroid, you got to run 500 milligrams of test or else blah, 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 you know, or else something bad will happen. So, I mean, uh, what what are your thoughts on this, Trevor? Is there such thing as a testosterone ratio? And if so, kind of uh, tell us the science behind that.
0: Do Do you want to know why people always push? You need to include testosterone as the base of every cycle. You know, testosterone is the base. Testosterone is the base. You know why everyone always pushes that?
1: I mean I I have some theories behind it but what's your like,
0: what's your theory? It's the cheapest raw hormone to purchase.
1: I would think that I was thought it had to do a lot with the sources just trying to sell more gear. So what is that? Why would they try to
0: No it, it's it's that. It's it's the cheapest raw hormone to to purchase. Oh so okay. So a kilo of testosterone is literally like 650 bucks. Whereas a kilo of Anavar is like $8,000. Yeah right so like let's say you're selling testosterone testosterone from Underground lab is normally like 70 bucks and Deca, you know it'd be like 80 or eq would be about 80. they're making three times more money off of the testosterone versus the deca or the eq because it costs them nothing to make so that's why they're really pushing testosterone and then also you feel testosterone right as soon as you take it you're going to gain a bunch of water weight your scale weight's going to go up so people are like oh man i'm making great gains no, you're just retaining a lot of water. But that's why everyone pushes testosterone. Um, when it really comes down to it, testosterone is naturally occurring in the body. It's not a hormone that has been manipulated for the goals of preserving muscle, building muscle, burning body fat. It's a shitty steroid, in my opinion. It's very estrogenic, and it causes a lot of water retention. And if you run a high dosage of it, it'll really mess up your liver, your lipids. So I think the testosterone should be the base of every cycle, because if you don't use any testosterone, you might run into libido issues, but I recommend just using a TRT dosage of testosterone and then running higher dosage of cleaner anabolics. That would be my suggestion. Um, if you wanna use testosterone, you can go up to 500 milligrams per week, but I really don't think there's much merit into running testosterone higher than that. You're just gonna get side effects you'd be better off adding in other compounds. Um, the only caveat I will say is that for a first steroid cycle, I think using testosterone by itself is a really good first steroid cycle to run because it's very mild. So because testosterone is what is naturally occurring in your body, if you run a responsible dosage of testosterone, you're really not going to get any side effects as long as using a rheumatized inhibitor, so you, some of that testosterone is rheumatized in estrogen. So that is the nice thing about testosterone is that it is a very simple steroid. So if you're looking for a simple first steroid, I like you can do that. But for a more advanced steroid user, there's much better steroids, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean, my opinion on this, guys, is very simple. Like there is no rule on this. Some guys like insist, you know, that they, they want to run just as much testosterone as Primo or Tran or whatever, and they think that's the best way to go. But you know, here's a, here's the thing though. When you're running trend, it's so fucking androgenic. And now you run testosterone with it. Now you're adding estrogenic side effects and more androgenic side effects on top of the trend androgenic side effects. So it doesn't make any sense. Why not just run the trend by itself and not use testosterone at all with trend? I mean, it, you get you get just as good results, but you won't get the water weight. So you gotta you gotta factor that in. Don't think that just because you get a bunch of water rate, that that's results. So you gotta kinda think outside the box on this stuff. If you're running something mild like primo, EQ, then yeah, I, I recommend running testosterone with it, some testosterone to give it a little androgenic kick. So, but it's absolutely there's no rule that you have to run. If you run five hundred milligrams of primo, oh yeah, you gotta run five hundred milligrams of test. Or if you're running five hundred milligrams of trend, you gotta run 250 milligrams of, of, of test. And I've heard some absurd things. I've heard if you run 500 milligrams of DECA that you got to run twice as much test. That's absurd. You know, and then people get gyno and then they complain that the DECA gave them the gyno when it was a testosterone at one gram a week that gave them the gyno.
0: Honest, honestly, Steve, I think some of these rules came from maybe like a dealer had, you know, four vials of test and two vials of DECA and that's what he wanted to get rid of. So he told the guy, Hey, yeah, you always want to run tests to Deca in a two to one ratio, so buy four vials of test and two vials of Deca. I like. I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of these rules literally came from someone just trying to clear out some extra gear they had.
1: Yeah, and like you said, uh, testosterone's so easy to get, and and this profit margin is so strong on it. Like it's so cheap to make, and the so the, yeah, they want to push it for sure. So, but absolutely, like testosterone is. There's nothing wrong with testosterone. I'm not against testosterone, but, I'm, you know, like, you just – guys got to think outside the box of the, on this stuff. If you go on a lot of forums and you say what we just said, they're going to flame you and they're going to bash you. So that's that's the funny thing. That's the difference between Evolutionary.org and these other cookie-cutter forums. And a lot of the moderators on those forums – and, you know, I know some of these guys. They're They're friends of mine. I'm not saying anything personal, but they don't know – the difference between you know, a, they don't know sh- the difference between this stuff, they don't understand, they don't have any experience doing this stuff. They're just moderators because they work for, for the sponsor or they're friends with the admin of the site or something. It's not because they earn their way up like Trevor and I did.
0: Let me let me let me uh expand on what I said a little bit more, Steve, and then you can introduce the next topic. So Testosterone is a very simple steroid, and I think testosterone is good for beginners because you can run testosterone by itself. You could run testosterone with a little bit of an anabolic, like EQ or DECA. But when you become a more advanced steroid user, and especially when you start using some of the harsher compounds like Tren, you really realize testosterone isn't needed because Tren, like you said, is so androgenic. Adding in another androgenic compound like testosterone is just going to cause side effects. And then with Tren raising prolactin, high prolactin by itself isn't an issue, but when you have high prolactin and high estrogen, things get really messy quick. So if you have testosterone, which readily aromatizes the estrogen, then you have a nandrolone like Tren, which raises prolactin, it just gets really messy. So I'm not against testosterone. I think testosterone is good for beginners. I think it's you know a very simple, cheap, an effective steroid, it gives you a lot of bang for your buck. But as you get more advanced, maybe you start doing bodybuilding competitions, or you start experimenting with more aggressive steroids and things like that, you realize testosterone really isn't the end-all be-all, if that makes sense. right? It's a good beginner steroid, but there's much better steroids in your arsenal as you get more experienced and you learn about new compounds.
1: So the next topic, guys, we talked about on the prior q and I think the two Q&As ago, we talked about what we'd like to eat before our workout. Now, let's talk about what you eat after your workout. So Trevor, go back, maybe two or three workouts, tell everyone what you ate, how much of it you ate, and how, how quick did you eat after your workout?
0: I'll I'll, uh, I'll talk about today actually. Um, So what I personally find, and there's quite a bit of science on nutrient timing is that if you eat more fat, you burn more fat. If you eat more carbs, you burn more carbs. So if you are training in a glycogen depleted state, you're going to be a fat burner. And I've also found that if I eat too many carbs before my workout, I just feel kind of sluggish. This is different. When I was in my 18, when I was like 18, 19, I could eat a massive bowl of oatmeal and go to squat, but now I just feel I just feel a little like like in slow motion. Like I don't feel as I don't feel as good. So I feel really good eating fat, maybe a small amount of protein before my workout, and then after my workout, re glycogenating. So today I trained pretty early. Uh, I trained at noon. So what I did is I woke up, I had a cup of black coffee around ten o'clock. I had two cups of bone broth with two tablespoons of mct oil and then at 11 a.m i had a pre-workout shake uh, a pre-workout so i was just like a stimulant pre-workout um at throughout my workout i drank essential amino acids after my workout i had a vegan protein shake with a scoop of greens and 50 grams of a carbohydrate powder and then about two hours after that just before recording this podcast i had some wild soul some steamed broccoli and two cups of white rice. So basically if you look at what I had in the morning, I had a small cup of black coffee, then I had some bone broth with MCT oil. So basically fat. Then I had some stimulants, I had some amino acids. After my workout, I had a vegan protein powder with carbs. And then I had an easy digesting protein source with more carbs. And then before bed, I'm gonna have probably like some salmon, maybe some asparagus, Olive oil and maybe some more rice. So before bed, I like to have carbs and fats. I like to add fats in the meal before bed because that will slow down the digestion. So basically, fast before my workout, carbs after is what I like to do. It sounds it's, like you're
1: doing close to a keto diet.
0: No, because I've already I just had 150 grams of carbs. I'm going to have another 100 grams before bed.
1: Okay, it's I'm like doing, uh, it's more it's of like a high good. fat. Your macros are higher fat than they used to
0: be. They're a lot higher in fat than they used to be. I've yeah. noticed as I've gone I
1: transitioned that way too.
0: What well, That's funny. I've just, I've just found that once you get like mid to late 20s, you, your body doesn't handle carbs as well. Like I still eat carbs. Like if you add that all up, I'll probably have had about 250 to 300 grams of carbs, but I can't do the 500 grams of carbs like I used to when I was younger. So more fats- and less carbs but what i like to do is have fats before my workout and then because you're training you're upregulating your body's glycogen storage enzymes so then carbs after your workout that's the best way to do it so fats before carbs after
1: so um since you guys want to know what we do okay so what i like to do after my workout is walk i like to have a guacamole so what i'll do is i'll come home go out to my garden, grab tomato and cilantro, and I'll have lime. Unfortunately, I don't have a lime tree, and I, have, I, don't, I don't have an avocado tree, so I got to get that from the grocery store, but I'll, I'll get that, and I'll, I'll mix it up and um, add some salt to it, and it's a very nutritious post-workout meal. Now, am I in a rush to eat my post-workout meal because I got to eat something in my window? No, I'm not. So if that was the case, I'd have it already prepared, but I don't. So usually after my workouts, I like to train fasted, okay? And what happens is I'll come off my workout, and I might be hungry when I first start my workout, but by the end of the workout, my appetite's gone. You know, that adrenaline is going and stuff, so I don't really have an appetite. So I'll wait until I start getting an appetite, and then I'll have that, that guacamole, but I'm not going to just come home, and eat, you know, within five minutes because I'm going I'm worried that I'm gonna lose my muscles. So again, you're asking what we do, you're not asking what a professional bodybuilder like Ronnie Coleman or Jay Cutler does. So that's a different, that's a different question because they have a completely different pre-workout, post-workout, and nutrition. So. You know, that's a really good question because you guys probably see our pictures on the forum and you're like, wow, these two guys, they, they look freaking good, you know? So what are they doing? They're both lean and all that good stuff. So you're not going to become a professional bodybuilder doing what Trevor does and, or doing what I do, (laughs) eat uh, train fasted and eat avocado, uh, guacamole after your workout. But it's what we do. And we stay really, really healthy. We look good and we feel good. So that's the thing. So um, that that's that's really good information. And that's interesting because Trevor used to be one of these uh, protein, protein, protein. You got to have 300 grams of protein a day, blah blah blah, people. And now he's kind of transitioned to uh, more of a high-fat macro guy. So I thought that was kind of interesting. He's kind of turning into me, a mini-me now, as he's gotten older. So maybe I, and stuff, my stuff mm-hmm. is
0: where we got fun. If you add up my macros for today, I probably did a boat's. Close to 100 grams of fat, um, probably about 300 grams of carbs, and probably about 150 grams of protein. So, yeah, a lot less protein than before. Um, You really don't need as much protein if your other macronutrients are in check, right? So, if you're on a calorie deficit, then you'd want to increase your protein because you're at risk of losing muscle. But if you're not stressed out, you're not in a catabolic state your body's not going to catabolize muscle, So you really don't need that much protein. All it's going to do is really just destroy your digestive system. So yeah, it, most people eat too much protein in my opinion. And that's part of the reason why so many people are so inflamed and bloated is because they're constantly walking around with the distended stomach from undigested protein.
1: Yeah. I mean, you see people in the gym wearing those tight shirts and stuff. And they have like guts, like little guts hanging over. It's like, I just want to go to them and be like, dude, You know, you don't have to eat, you know,
0: you uh, You don't, you don't have to pound four protein bars after your workout, I promise.
1: Yeah. And you don't have to eat like chicken and steak and, and, and pork and all this shit like eight times a day. You can, you can eat like half of what you're eating and promise you'll look a lot better, but you know, they they listen to the bullshit.
0: Huh? They probably feel a lot better too.
1: Yeah, I mean, but they listen to the bullshit, you know. They don't. And they don't get the concept. Of like, why do I not look like Ronnie Coleman? But I'm eating what Ronnie Coleman eats every day. They they just don't. They don't grasp the concept that if you eat like a 300 pound bodybuilder, you're going to just become a 300 pound fat person. You're not going <laughs> to look like Ronnie Coleman. But they don't. They don't get it. So, you know, it, it is what it is. You know, guys, just be open minded and, and try something different if things aren't working for you. So, next question is a good one. What should I do if I find out my steroids are underdosed halfway through? Has this ever happened to you, Trevor?
0: It has not happened to me. That's a great question. Um, For future, I would always recommend going on evolutionary.org, check the source reviews section. We have a free forums where people can post reviews of sources. So if you look at a source, let's say it's source XYZ, and there's 100 reviews that are mostly positive, chances are it's gonna be a good source. Um, You know, if there's only one or two reviews on a source, maybe those reviews are bought, you know, like be be leery. So I would go on evolutionary.org, check the source review section because there's no regulation when it comes to stuff. And especially when it comes to expensive steroids like Primo and Anivar. a lot of them are fake. Now to answer this person's question specifically, I would probably just finish off your cycle with the dosages as planned because you're not going to know how underdosed your steroids are right so like like, let's say you start doubling up everything you might be you might end up taking way too high dosages if it's only slightly underdosed so i would kind of just like cut off the cycle as a loss run the dosages you were originally planning obviously don't use that source again and then get gear from a new source that's what i would do unless you know for sure how underdosed it is or if it's completely fake then obviously just stop taking it but if you know it's real but it's underdosed but you're not sure what the actual dosage is i would just finish off your cycle knowing that it's going to be you know a pretty mild cycle and you're not going to be running the dosages that you thought you were run a pct take some time off and then do a new cycle with a new source
1: yeah i mean yeah he's going to make sure you know sort of having the correct source is very very important and um you know, I would want to know though, how do you know that your stuff is underdosed as you run blood work? So if you ran blood work and it was underdosed, then you know that'd be the right fact. But it's it the, the thing is with sources, they're smart. They know that it's very, very hard to figure out if it's if it's underdosed or if it's bonk. So, you know, if they send, if you order Anovar and they send you T Bowl, are you gonna be able to tell the difference? Probably not. I mean, they're so similar that you wouldn't be able to really tell and you could run blood work till the cows come home. It's not going to make a difference because neither one aromatizes. So it's not like your estrogen levels are going to go sky high. So, you know, it's one of those things, you just got to trust your source, number one. But what I would do, and this has happened to me, by the way, Um, I've run, I've run bad gear before. And I would run blood work and just see, you know, how your LH and FSH are going. Because if it's underdosed and not just completely bonk, if it's just underdosed, it's still gonna suppress you, it's still gonna shut you down. Because you're still putting as exogenous hormones in your body, even though it's much less than you thought it was. So you want to do that, and I would ba- I would basically find a new source right away. If you notice that, like after four or five weeks, find a new source right away and get the same thing that you thought you were running and just continue the cycle if you can. But if it's going to take you a while to get in the new gear, then I would basically come off, do PCT, you know, call it a day and learn your lesson from that. And then you can go ahead and move on for next time. But, you know, listen, this happens to all of us. All right. We've all had bunk gear before. We've all been ripped off before it happens. And, you know, that's part of the game. This is, this is the game that we play. So, you know, don't feel bad. Don't be embarrassed about it. You know, some people don't, don't like to say that, but look, I've been ripped off for probably two or three grand worth of of gear over the years. Either I got bunk gear or they, they just took my money and ran. So it happens to the best of us, you know? So any, any other uh, thoughts Trevor?
0: I think that pretty much sums it up.
1: Yep, and uh, our next question is an interesting one as well. It's saying his heartburn has increased even though he's eating clean. So this was a really interesting one. And Trevor, you're kind of like, you, you like to play Mr. Detective when it comes to stuff like this. So any particular guess as to why someone would have an increase in heartburn even though they're eating super clean?
0: So a couple of thoughts came to my mind. You might be just eating too much, right? Like even if you're eating, let's say, good quality grass fed beef, steamed broccoli, sweet potatoes, if you're just eating like a pound of steak, you're probably gonna have issues digesting it, right? So you might just be eating too much at each meal. You might be eating inflammatory foods. So you know a lot of bodybuilders will consider you know things like cream of rice, not not uh, cream of wheat, sorry, um, as a clean food, but most people don't digest wheat very well or something, it might be like milk, right? Like some bodybuilders will still have protein shakes with milk. So you might just be eating, you know, dairy or soy or gluten or something that's not digesting very well. Um, another thing that came to my mind is maybe are you using anabolic steroids? Some people get really bad acid reflux from D-ball, anadrol, things like that. So if you are taking those, um maybe try taking them with food, maybe cut them out, see if that helps with your acid reflux. Um, if it, it sounds like a digestive issue, so I would try adding in acidic foods to help with digestion. So try taking apple cider vinegar with meals, that should help. And then you could also look at the supplement, betaine HCL, that will help your body help with digestion. So anyone experiencing acid reflux, I recommend those two things. What are, what are your thoughts, Steve?
1: I don't assume that you have a problem with heartburn, right?
0: I've never had heartburn in my entire life.
1: Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I went through heartburn when I was probably in my early to mid-20s, and that was when I was probably eating the worst diet of my life. And do, you want, do you
0: want to know what's crazy? When, yeah. when someone says they're getting heartburn, I honestly don't even know what it is because I've never had it.
1: I believe it, yeah. Well, like, you've like had I, to-
0: I can read the symptoms, and like I've spoken with enough people. I obviously know it's a thing. But I've never experienced it myself.
1: If you want to experience it, take a bunch of Clen, and then um, you'll probably experience it. Because Clen gave me the worst heartburn ever. So um, here's the thing: like when I was going through heartburn, um, I go to a doctor and stuff, and they give me like Prilosec OTC. I think it's called like any type of um, type of an acid or something and it didn't do shit. You know, it doesn't do anything. They don't tell you to change your diet. They don't tell you to do that stuff. Once I basically got lean back up because I was, I wasn't lean. I kind of got out of shape in my early mid twenties. I got away from, from exercising. I started eating crap. I mean, my diet every day was like milk, chocolate milk, not just milk, but chocolate milk, um, cookies, ice cream, pizza, pasta. I mean, my diet was just horrendous. Like it's, and I just completely changed my diet. I cleaned everything up. And then like a month later, heartburn just disappeared. And I've not got heartburn very often um, for in the past few years. I got heartburn like maybe like a month ago is like the only time in the past, like three or four years I've a heartburn. But I, you know, sometimes spicy food, even if you think you're eating healthy, Sometimes spicy food will give you heartburn, like garlic, onions, and any type of spice um, pot thing. So, you know, garlic and onion, not, not, not necessarily unhealthy things, but the thing is a lot of people have bad reactions to them. So you'll get the heartburn from that. So let's say you're eating chicken, a gar- you know, garlic chicken breast is very, very popular. You know, you, you can't do that. You got to just make sure you eat the, the chicken breast plain and get some, uh, season it with something else that's not going to give you, give you the heartburn. So you really have to just look at what you're eating before you got the heartburn and try to connect the dots there. It's your own health. You can't depend on a doctor. You can't go to a doctor and depend on him to fix you. They're not even going to ask you what you ate. They, they that's not their expertise. They're just going to hand you a drug that that is not going to help you. So you have to be your own doctor on this and try to figure it
0: out. Let me say one more thing, Steve, and then uh, I'll let you uh, go to the next question. So even healthy foods, if you're not rotating, your foods can cause an inflammatory response. Eggs are a great example. A lot of people don't digest eggs very well, because they've been eating just too much of them too frequently. Chickens, another great example. So if you are eating clean, but you, you know, you're know you eating pretty much the same foods every day, I would swap out those foods because it's probably an undiagnosed food sensitivity from eating the same foods too frequently. So let's say you're eating chicken three times a day every single day. That's the problem. So stop eating chicken for a month and instead you know eat maybe some wild-caught fish, maybe some uh, grass-fed meat, maybe even experiment with some vegan protein sources, things like quinoa, hemp, and chia. Give your digestive system a break, and then when you start eating chicken again, you most likely won't have the acid reflux. So That's just an idea I had is that if you're eating pretty much the same foods every single day, um, it might be a food sensitivity from that. Last
1: one, guys, ways to combat heat exhaustion. I'm sure, Trevor, you living up there in Winnipeg, you have a lot of experience with this. Have you ever gotten heat exhaustion or, or heat
0: stroke? um yes actually um that was that's because canadians are so used to the cold we think we're immune to heat stroke but it can't happen heat stroke is actually just dehydration so you're very dehydrated and very depleted of electrolytes so if you have heat stroke the best thing you can do is obviously stay out of the heat but then replenish electrolytes that's magnesium potassium and calcium sea salt and then rehydrate so that's the best thing you can do um don't consume a bunch of food because that will make you even more dehydrated, make it even worse. So, if you're suffering from heat stroke, eat light foods, things like melon, you could have apple, you know, berries, things like that. Focus on getting lots of electrolytes to so supplement with electrolyte powder that has highly absorbable magnesium, potassium, calcium, and sodium, and then lots and lots of fluids.
1: So, you name the electrolytes you name salt, magnesium, potassium. What else did you say? Sodium. Right, that's salt.
0: Salt, sodium, potassium, magnesium, calcium are the four electrolytes. Minerals are also important. So you'd also, you'd want to be using something like sea salt that has trace minerals in it as well. But the four electrolytes in your body are sodium, potassium, calcium, and uh, magnesium. They're called electrolytes because they all have a positive charge to them.
1: So what I like to do to get those electrolytes is what I'll do is I'll mix in my water salt, Cream of tartar, which is your potassium. Okay, The cream of tartar, you go into the, the, the supermarket, you'll see that. It's like a white powdery stuff, and you get liquid magnesium. Now, calcium, I don't mix in for my electrolytes. How would you even get that?
0: Truthfully, you don't really need calcium because the body stores calcium. Um, calcium's found in most dark green vegetables in trace amounts, so I, honestly, you don't really need to supplement with calcium. Calcium would be um, in most of those in trace amounts anyways.
1: Yeah, so I mean that that I just do that. I, I mix those three in with my water. If you're sweating a lot, okay, this is where it comes in the factor. If you're sweating a lot, then do that because that will replace what you're sweating out, and that really really works. But keep your keep a keep a hat on, okay, that makes a difference. But also cool down your your body. Like if you're at the beach or something try to go into the water to cool your body down because that is, is the big thing. If you're sitting on the sand, it's super, super hot. It's going to get hot. So Trevor, if you ever go on vacation to like a beach or something, watch out for that. And it, you just feel your skin. If it's, if it's hot and stuff and you're starting to get sunburn, you need to get out of the sun and make sure that you, you stay in the shade more. So this is a, a really a thing that, you know, A lot of people down in the south, a lot of our listeners in the south, have to deal with all the time. So watermelon is 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 the season of watermelon is the summer for a reason. So take advantage of that because watermelon is is ninety five percent water. It is wonderful to
0: have on a hot summer day. So don't uh, just don't eat a bunch of fried chicken and cornbread with it.
1: Oh my god! Now we're back to the first question on this. (laughs) Trevor, what are you doing? All right, guys. We appreciate you guys listening. Trevor, uh, any final thoughts?
0: Um, like Steve said, the main electrolytes would be sodium, potassium, and magnesium. I like Steve's drink. That's actually a really good recommendation. With magnesium, make sure you're using a chelated form of magnesium. Don't use magnesium oxide. So Look for magnesium glycinate, magnesium ascorbate, magnesium um, amino acid chelate, something like that. Look for a chelated form of magnesium. If you're unsure, just ask the person working at the supplement store, is this the chelated form of magnesium? Stay away from magnesium oxide. It is not absorbable by the human body. I just want to say thank you for 250 episodes. I mean, that's a milestone. Um, me and Steve, we really, really appreciate the support that you guys are you know, listening to us for this long. Um, and here's to another 250 more. For your host, Trevor Kuritson, for my co-host, Steve Smith, this is another episode of Evolutionary Radio. Live your life. Look good doing it. Thanks for listening.